often for women, not even just in the church, just in school, elementary school, leadership is not a thing that women are pushed towards or are often considered for. So we often don't see ourselves in those positions because we haven't even been invited into those conversations often. Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, we have a really fun show for you today. I have the privilege of interviewing my wonderful co-host, Missy Branch. She is our guest on the podcast today. So Missy, welcome to the show. (laughs) This is so much fun, Courtney. Yes. Well, listeners, I know that you know Missy. You've heard her voice. We've chatted a ton on here with every single guest that's come. And so today we um, have the fun opportunity to hear more about Missy's work and about her life. And um, I know this is just going to be just a really special um, time together today. So let me me share with you guys a little bit about um, Missy's background. So Missy Branch serves as the Assistant Dean of Students to Women and as Director of Graduate Life at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. She also currently, she's also a student right now there at the seminary, completing her graduate degree in ethics, theology, and culture. She is married to Deuce Branch, and together they have four children. She is passionate about women seeing themselves as theologians and disciples first. Missy is a contributing author to the, it's a book called The Whole Woman, ministering to her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And she is also, of course, the wonderful co-host of the Women in Work podcast. (laughs) Currently, she is serving as chairwoman of the Board of Trustees at Lifeway Christian Resources. And so, Missy, this is just, honestly, it's just, this is just pure fun for us. This This is so much fun, yes. Yes. We, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's so hilarious to even think of having a bio. Because I'm like, do you know my real life is? I just do the things. Like, so when somebody says you have a headshot and bio, I'm like, like from like my iPhone, like just snap a picture. So like, just send me a selfie. I have to yeah. go, get a headshot because I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't have a headshot. I hear you. I hear you. Well, um, again, super fun. Missy and I always spend some time together before we hit record, just chatting. And so I feel like this episode is going to is gonna be mostly that as well. But I am yes. excited to ask you the three rapid fire questions, Missy, um, and hear your answer. <laughs> I'm actually really curious about your answers on these. All right. So Missy, yes. as a kid, tell me, what did you want to be when you grew up? Courtney, I wanted to be a lawyer. I ultimately wanted to sit on the Supreme Court. That's right. I figured that was job security. Like you get a Supreme Court and you, you're not going anywhere. I actually would not want to be on the Supreme Court today. Right. So yes, right. <laughs> I mean, it's important work. I'm not making light of that, but praise God, the Lord knew. The Lord knew. I love what I'm doing now. So why do you think you wanted to be a lawyer? What about that was interesting to you? I love um, 
the details of why, like just in life, why things are the way they are, how things happen the way they did, history, the makeup of things. Um, I have a heart for, I have always had a heart for understanding people and like, yes, they committed this crime, but did they commit this crime because they are a criminal or because they committed this or because there was these extenuating circumstances? What are the, what is a realistic penalty for this? And I've always thought that way, even like negotiating with my mom. Like, I think that your reaction might be a little much based on this. Like she, I couldn't say that to her, but that's what I'd be thinking. Like, (laughs) like, I actually think this is a stiffer penalty than actually this deserves. (laughs) And so, you know what I'm saying? So I've been, I was fascinated with also the ability to articulate that and get paid for it. So, yeah. Okay. I hear you. Well, what actually was your first job? (laughs) So in Philadelphia, where I'm from, we had the, um, there's a subway station and the subway downtown is huge. Like underground is a huge underground thing. So there's all these random shops and boutiques. And one day a friend of ours just walked in and out of every one of those boutiques to get hired. And one of them hired me, this old couple who owned a boutique hired me to sell these outfits that were, I mean, it was hysterical. Like I had, I don't, so I was selling clothes Okay. and some kind of way these people trusted me, like from the day they hired me. I will never forget that they emptied their um, cash register, put all the cash in a folder, handed me the bank account number, and let me walk to the bank with all the cash in the register. Oh my! Probably a week or so after they hired me. And you're like, I was 16 like sixteen years old. Or? Sixteen. Yes. Oh, okay. Crazy. Wow. I loved it. It was fun. Okay. So, what kind of work do you hope to be doing when you're old and eighty years old? So I wanted to come up with something really funny. Like I want to be like um, own a um ice cream truck and ride around selling ice cream. But I know that's not true. But I would love to be eating off an ice cream truck forever. Um, but what I think I would say is I would love to be continuing to help women see themselves as theologians and to do everything I can to be pushing forth the gospel in whatever way at eighty. I still have the faculties to do it. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And I want to be like, I I have four kids and they're getting older. I do want to be like the greatest grandmother ever. So fun. I bet you would be <laughs> a really fun grandmother. <laughs> okay. So share with us a little bit about just about your upbringing. Um, you mm-hmm. mentioned you grew up in Philly. Um, so just talk about like even just your adult life. Where have you guys lived mm-hmm. and how did you come to know Jesus? Um, so I, my dad was in the air force and my mom and dad got married early because he was leaving. So like they were teenagers when they got married cause he was leaving. And so it's sweet because, um, I'm a little Brown girl from the ghetto, but yet I've lived in Germany. I started school in Germany and have lived in different places, but my parents, it didn't work cause they got married as teenagers and it wasn't. Yeah. So they got divorced. Um, but in the process, I gained a stepsister and then um, like both of my parents, they had two kids together and then my dad had other kids. So I had this blended family that I came from. So my mom lived in Philadelphia. My dad lived in upstate New York for a while. So I would go back and forth between them for a little while, um, like summers with my dad and that type of thing. I lived with my dad for a while in upstate New York and not my mom. So the Rome, Buffalo, Ithaca area. So yeah, living upstate New York was, I guess it was okay. There was a season. I don't know the ins and outs of how this happened. 
but this is a weird fact. There was a season when I first got to Buffalo where I went to school with people who were all deaf. Interesting. How I just remember it was happen? a I don't know. Huh. I don't know. Um, you don't know American even Sign now, Language, do you? I do know Sign Language, Oh, you yes. do? Oh, fascinating. And you know what was the craziest thing is that you would think it would be a quiet place, but it was probably, it was very loud. Really? Because they couldn't hear. Interesting. So sliding chairs, slamming doors, gestures, sounds, like it was loud. And I wasn't there long. I don't know. I can't even give you the context because I was so young. Yeah. So I don't know how I wound up there, but it was crazy. But um, Okay. Yeah. So, but um, when I was about seven, my dad, I, I, my mom and my, I may not even have been, I wasn't seven, Courtney. Yeah, I was, I'll say I was seven. My mom and my dad were separated and we moved, we went to Philly to see my grandparents because it was sweet. I grew up in a community where my grandmothers lived around the corner from each other. Oh, sweet. So um, we were visiting my dad's mom and I was seeing my mom for the first time in a couple years. And it was time for me to leave. And I remember her being at the door crying because I was leaving because she didn't know when she would see me again. And standing in the street at seven years old with the bag we had packed for the weekend, my dad said, do you want to stay here with her or do you want to go back with me? And I was just like, I mean, my everything, like every, my life was with him. Unbelievable. Yeah. I literally had this bag and I, I'll never forget. I was standing in the street and I just saw her crying and I said, okay, I'll go with her. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> because she was crying and that was it. He, my dad got in the car and pulled off and I was still standing in the street. And then my mom, I can remember her face. So she's just looking like what just happened? Whoa. My mom did not have clothing for me. I wasn't in school. It was nothing. Like she just, <laughs> you've just moved in with me. And she lived with my grandmother and my little sister. And so it was, it was crazy. And I, I, I have told this story. My mom at the time, so now she's a single mom of two girls. Right. And she was, she didn't have much. And while my dad had a lot of the material possessions, but the Lord in his infinite kindness, like my, I know my dad loved me. I know he, he didn't do that. Like out of some, I don't know what his motivation was, but I didn't, I didn't feel like it was him being mean to me. Sure. But, um, my mom offered me Jesus. And I think that that's the thing Mm -hmm. that is a sweet legacy. Like my dad was able to offer more materially, but my mom, she gave me and my sister, she taught, introduced us to Jesus. And so that's been the sweet blessing of that choice in the street at seven years old. That right? It's just wild. I mean, that's just a moment that sounds like an innocent question, but that sent your life on a certain path that- Completely different trajectory. Exactly. Yes. And the Lord knew what yes. he was doing, even in mm-hmm. causing your little lips to say that at that young age. Right. So praise the Lord, you came to faith in Christ through your mom. Okay, mm-hmm. so tell us about your actual job, Missy. You, you know, we okay. mentioned that you, uh, you're doing a lot of things in life, but you do have a, a real job um, at Southeastern mm-hmm. Seminary. You're the assistant mm-hmm. dean of students to women and the director of graduate life. And I will just say, my little glimpse into your job when I came to campus um, in March of 2022, your team mm-hmm. hosted and put on the Cultivate Conference, the Cultivate Event. Yes. I was blown away. The moment I stepped in and saw you guys had a photo booth, kind of a, there was a neon sign that said cultivate (laughs) in front of a beautiful green 
wall, like of, of, yeah. of greenery, like plant greenery. And I, mm-hmm. it, like the minute I saw that sign, I was like off the charts. This is, this is going to be <laughs> off the charts. And so you guys did an amazing <laughs> job with that, but tell us about your job. Like how, what do you do every day? And- well, I think that's part of why I love my job because it's not, it's not, um, repetitive every day. I get to uh, meet with women. I get discipleship is huge in the area that I do. So I I often say that the the information that our students are learning in their classrooms over here in student life, we help them have real world opportunities to put that information to use. And so because theological education is supposed to be transformational. And so we get to do a lot of discipleship over here. And I love, love, love it. It's so much so that every employee that I have gets paid for an hour a week to be discipling somebody on the wow, clock. Wow, goodness. Um, and that I expect them to do more, but you can take an hour, even as part-time, like you can take an hour and just be discipling every week because it's that big a deal. Um, so discipling women, creating events for women, but also for our graduate students, because I carry, I wear both of those hats. Mm-hmm. So being able to speak some into some curriculum, cool. um, creating um, evangelistic opportunities, creating campus-wide events. I do um, our new student orientation. I wear a lot of hats, but I really genuinely love it because it's, I get to impact students both on the graduate level and then all of the women associated with Southeastern. And it has been a sweet, sweet blessing. I feel like Esther, I did or Joseph, I did nothing, nothing to deserve the job. And if they take it from me, I say all the time, all I can do is smile and thank them. Cause like, <laughs> it was such a gift anyway. Yeah. So how did you wind up in this role? Um, did you ever imagine, you know, growing up in Philly as that little girl standing on the street, could you have ever foreseen, okay, I'm going to work in this seminary discipling Never. these women. Okay. So how did you get this spot? Courtney, I, we, my husband and I planted a church in Philadelphia and um, at, through a series of events, long story, um, we had to leave Philadelphia, leave the church, and coming to North Carolina was kind of like a reboot. And so I know it would be good for my husband. He flourishes in theological settings. I know it would be good for my kids because it was just a completely opportunity for them to regroup and be in a space that's safe. And education is paramount here. So it's a little, it's, there, there's a lot more investment by the school district than in Philadelphia. So, you know, that type of thing. So I knew that that would, in those ways, would be good. But I kind of was lost on what my role would be right. here because I had been homeschooling kids and I had a flourishing cake business and I had been doing discipleship at the church. And like all the things that I did were not, they, it didn't come with me ever, originally. And so... I did feel kind of lost as to what I'm going to do. So I, I rebooted my cake business is what I had a, a custom cake b- decorating business. I kind of rebooted that and God was kind because some of the people with the most influence around here would order cakes for me and that helped that grow. Wow. Then I took a job at a flower shop so I could learn the community and do something else creative. And cool. I did learn that flower decorating, like arranging is not my gift. <laughs> like praise God. <laughs> That's a skill that people are not just throwing flowers in a bucket. There's a skill there and I don't have it, but I learned some things. So praise God. But um, while I was there at the flower shop, Courtney, I remember thinking to myself, man, I was home with these kids for 16 years, but I've gotten a taste of ministry because I'm a hustler. I've always had a side business. I've always had, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I've always had um, the opportunity to do some sort of ministry. 
So I just felt like now that I'm not necessarily just home making sure these kids are great all day, every day, what, who am I? What do I do? Mm -hmm. Um, For a while, I was really embarrassed because I had not finished my undergrad degree um, because I, when we got married, I was in school, but then I got pregnant. And then right after I got pregnant, I got pregnant. So (laughs) it was on hold. So I really felt like I didn't have a pathway to anything other than making the cakes, which for some reason, as much as I love the creativity of it, I, something about, I can't explain it. I just was like, Lord, I feel like I should be doing something for you. And I can't see a pathway to it. I need you to help me. And it was a season where I was actually pretty kind of down because I could, I'm surrounded, I'm on this academic campus and all my friends are in school and everybody around here, my husband's pursuing a PhD. Like, my kids are looking at college. Like everything about this world is moved forward and I felt kind of in a holding pattern. But you know, it's always when the Lord does his best work. And I actually got hired on campus to, for a six-week temp job okay. as an admin. Oh, wow. And um, the department that I was working for was closing down, so there was no pathway to be hired oh, for them. Oh, goodness. Okay. We were actually praying and helping the girl who I was temping for. She was on maternity leave. I spent that time doing the training and all that praying for the Lord to give her another job. Like she needs a job on this campus. Lord, let's help make this great. And then my current boss, while out during those six weeks, Courtney, I would spend those six weeks. It was in an office where nobody was really there because like they went to the SBC and they like it was the summer. So I would just have women come back there. I was endlessly like, why don't you come back there and let's pray? Y'all aboard, come visit me. Let's go talk. So we would be like having discussions in the back and prayer in the back and all that. And my current boss saw that. And I guess he thought maybe there's something I can do around here. So then I, I, through the Lord's kindness, I got hired to be the student events coordinator which small joke, my daughter was being mentored. I mean, small fact, my daughter was being mentored by a lady from our church who was the student events coordinator. And I said to Trent, that's a job I'd love to have. I don't know how I'd ever get that. And then when, probably four months after I had the job, I looked through old paperwork and saw that it was the job oh, interesting. that I had said. Wow. And then, so I was content being the student events coordinator, just coming up with fun things for students to do on campus. And I was also somebody else's admin. And then um, my boss said, Missy, I can't shake the, shake why I think that this new position that we're coming up with for Dean of Students to Women, you could be, you could fit that role. And I was like, there, there is not a, not even a slight possibility that I could fit that. Like, but he said, we'll pray about it and we'll put it on the back burner for six months. And six months later, he was just like, I still feel the same way and I want to offer you this job. Wow. And blown away. And then the director of graduate life kind of was some org changes. And I went from literally the flower shop mm-hmm. to this other job. In the, mat- the jobs just kept changing in a matter of probably a year, all of that. Wow. From, I went from the temp to the... ADOS position in a matter of maybe a year or so. And okay. It was Jesus, Courtney. I, yeah. Sincerely, I've done nothing to deserve it. Well, that's that was my question was how I was thinking about that. Oh, this probably took about three years. No, but in a year's time, the Lord really, I mean, it does sound a lot like Joseph in that um, the Lord had his hand on him and it sounded like yes. the Lord has had his, his hand on you too. And I mean, you're clearly in a position 
that you're flourishing in and serving women. I love and so, it. Um, well, when I was on campus, I was like, oh my gosh, I just need to move here and, and get a job <laughs> here and hear how about these amazing women. And I mean, oh, I loved so it so great. much just being there. So you mentioned you're, you're also, um, you're getting, you've, you're studying right now. You're a student there. Yes. You're getting yes. a degree in ethics, theology, and culture. So tell me about that. Yes. Like just what interested you in, in, in that and, do you have any vision? I mean, this is probably a no, but like, do you have any vision yet for how to, how are you um, hoping to incorporate some of what you're learning into real life? Well, what's sweet is that when I was sitting in the back for those six weeks being a temp, I applied for to college and I said, no, I'll just finish my undergrad. I'll just get it done. And I was strategic because I said every time my kids took a class because they were in college, every time they took a class, I'd take that same class online. So I didn't have to buy books again. Oh. I'd guys hold those books. So I smart. <laughs> but uh, so I plowed through that. Actually, yeah. So the whole undergrad thing was, a was, was I had, tr I had gone to college, so I had some credits to transfer and the Lord was kind. So now I, I when it was time to study um, for the master's level, I remember someone asked me, what did I want to study? And I was like, I don't even actually have a clue. I don't, I don't know what I want to do, but I caught, I, I've always loved, like I wanted to be a lawyer. So the idea of research mm. is fun to yeah. me. Okay. So I decided to do a degree that was a research degree. Um, so, um, and I, my boss is an ethicist. So we have had a ton of conversations on why and how and why do we think this way and why is that way? And that resonates with me, just also that part of me that wanted to be a lawyer. So when it was time to think through what my degree would be, I started off with organizational leadership. And while that was great, I, I learned a lot. It still didn't scratch the itch for me. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, it wasn't it, but I was grateful. For, I'm still grateful for the classes I took. They were great. And I got to take some counseling classes as well. But the ethics, theology, and culture seemed to speak to a practical way of using what I'm doing for me. Like, I'm not saying anything else is impractical. I'm saying for me. And honestly, Courtney, I take a class and then the next day I have to speak at something <laughs> and I'm pulling from my class. Interesting. And I take a class in the summer and then that fall I'm going to be at a conference and I'm pulling from that class. And so I'm actually not even so much only thinking about something in the future. The Lord has been able, allowing me to be able to use what I'm learning now. I love and that. so it's been so much fun to learn. I obviously had to fire up those old brain cells again and, <laughs> and get going, but it's been so much fun to learn and to learn in this space where my kids have gone to school. So having those conversations with my children, I have one in college now, my husband's getting a PhD here. It just is, it's, it's beautiful. It's just been a lot of fun. So mm -hmm. I get to use it. It's practical for me now. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of just growth and flourishing and stretching, yes. but in all the best ways. That's amazing. Yes. One of the that. things um, you've already sort of mentioned is the idea of women in leadership. You love thinking about leadership. You love seeing mm -hmm. women step into leadership. You're very just passionate about this. Um, you've really said in the past, you know, all women are leaders, right? So mm -hmm. what do you, first of all, this, this is a kind of multi-layered question for you, but okay. what do you see in women that they even need to be reminded of this? Does that make sense? Like how would you yes. even, and then step, take it a step further, how would you encourage them toward leadership? Listen, I start off every time I do any kind of leadership training or anything, I believe every person is a leader. I think we're all leaders. Some of us are natural leaders. Mm -hmm. 
but we're all leaders and every leader has to be trained. I mean, the reality that a, a seed is a tree, but it has to become a tree, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it is it, but it still has to go to the journey to, to grow yeah. and flourish and become that tree. And so I think all of us have the seed of leadership in us. That's good. What I do also know to be true is that often for women, not even just in the church, just in like in school, elementary school, leadership is not a thing that women are pushed towards or are often considered for or have um, like, it's just not a thing. So Mm -hmm. we often don't see ourselves in those positions because we haven't even been invited into those conversations often. Exactly. I, I did for my high school, I went to an all girls high school. It was a public school, but it was all girls. And what that did was everything that anybody needed to do was going to be done by girls. Because there was no boys to pick up the heavy things and there were no boys to ask to run and do that for you. Like we had to figure it out. We were we're going to, it's got to get done, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think what was great about that was it gave me just an idea that there are many more things that women can do than I even thought. You know what I'm saying? Because it was also a school for women who were smart. Like it was girls so it just, it was really encouraging. Like, man, women, like just in this life, in the world, women can do a lot of things sure. that I had not even thought that way before. Well, I totally resonate that with that, um, what you just said, because even my myself, I mean, I'll just share with you all that I, even leading women in work, I stepped into this role having never actually viewed myself as a leader. Right. And this is just way into my thirties, you know, grown woman here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even though, I mean, when I look back at my life, just like you said, that seed of leadership was there. I mean, I can look back even in high school, I was leading president of this or vice president of that. I mean, I was leading people, um, even in college, had a couple of leadership roles, but to me, it was, it was in my mind, it was almost like a one-off. You know, it was like, yeah. oh, well, somebody <laughs> thinks I could do this. So, I mean, I guess I could try. This job, right. Yeah, I can do this job. I can I can try. But even then, it was a kind of shot in the dark and d- fumbling around, like, can I do this? And so mm-hmm. I really do love the message of, of women, of, of, of reminding women, speaking into their, into their mind, just to get it in your heart and your mind that, wow, no, God could use me. Um, in a way that I hadn't expected, even in leading. And so you are going to find, you're going to, there are probably women right now listening to this and they're going to, they're going to be pushing back and they're going to say, Missy, I hear you. I hear what you're saying about the little seed of leadership, but I am not a leader. I am naturally more a follower. This would have been me. This would have been me saying this to you. Um, so like, what would you say to them? And then how can we begin to transition our mind toward that? I think it's because you're viewing leadership through a faulty definition. Okay. So we always, anybody who's heard me talk on leadership will hear, will have heard me say this, but we always tend to view leadership on the macro level, the CEO, the people who put on great conferences, the way we got to Mars, the (laughs) the principal of the school, the head of a college, but leadership, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens without leadership. So the reason why the walls are the color they are in your house was leadership. 
the way that we run our homes, leadership. The gas that you choose to put in your car, leadership. The meals that you prep in your home, leadership. The We all have a sphere of influence, mm-hmm. and so we're all responsible for it. And so I think that when we think leader, you're like, oh, the people who make all the big important decisions. No, leadership is making every decision. Right. Every decision is being led by someone. Nothing happens without someone taking the leadership. Literally, do I water my plants on Wednesday or Friday? That is a leadership decision. (laughs) (laughs) I really think that's so helpful to think about because it just brings it down. Where where Mm -hmm. we think of leadership, it's it's honestly very intimidating. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I can do that. I think if I step out and try to be a, quote, leader, I'm going to fail at that. I don't have what it takes. Mm -hmm. I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. But when you really bring it down, and and I'm actually going to implement this in my life. I love that you (laughs) brought it right into my house, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because it is... um, it is those decisions that help you move forward. And I think that if women and even myself, if we can begin to think of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in a moment, here's a decision mm-hmm. that needs to be made. I'm going to, yes. I'm going to ask the Lord for wisdom. I'm going to ask the Lord for the power yes. to do this next thing. And I'm going to do it with confidence that he's given right. me the wisdom and I am going to water those plants on Wednesday. <laughs> I'm going to lead that project. I'm going to lead that the project. The project is to care for these plants. I'm leading the project. <laughs> And then when I do it, I'm going to look back and I'll say, look at that. Look how God. I led that project and it was successful. Yes. What have I learned about me and about plants? And then to just keep building on that, it's almost yes. just baby steps. It's that little seed growing and becoming more and more mature until one day, if the Lord wills, it's a big oak tree. Right. And so what, what you didn't, what you haven't even realized about yourself was that the seed was being watered and yep. nurtured all along. Yes. But we do it all along. I was a kid. I remember in elementary school in West Philadelphia, in the middle of the hood, they had safety patrol, the people who would, kids who would Hold stand on, at the I corner and put their you. arms up. Just when you said West Philadelphia, <laughs> I just want to know. You thought <laughs> born and raised on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... How many women are thinking that right now? As soon as you said West Philadelphia. My whole life, though. That's where I'm from. So <laughs> on a playground my mom where you spent most of your days. went to the same high school where Will Smith went to high school. No like, way. we're from the same space. Yes. Oh we're goodness. literally from the same space. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, um, so take us back. West Philadelphia. But. Yes. The little school and, and the kids were who were the safety patrol. They would hold their arms out so you right. didn't cross the street on the red light. Sure. There were only boys who did it. I decided okay. to be it. I was the first girl safety patrol at my school. Look at that. Elementary so those school. little seeds were getting watered. Yes. And you yes. don't even realize it as women. We Because we're yes. not encouraged. There's not, you know, leadership right. conferences necessarily for women. There, there really right. are not. You hear about it for men quite a bit. Um, but you really don't for women. But I, I do love that looking back and seeing the hand of God watering here, watering yes. there. Yeah. I think if we had eyes to see that, that would actually train our minds to, to think a little yes. bit differently. And I think that that's what I'm passionate about now for you to begin to see it, to see that the leadership that you've been called to, no matter how big or small it is, has been being watered all along. You just, we may not have recognized it. And so now I encourage you walk in it, mm-hmm. walk in it. And you know, when we think about leadership, the greatest, this is not to over, like I don't, Jesus juke, Jesus mm-hmm. really is the greatest leader. 
there has ever been. And he modeled such beautiful leadership in that he served, he cared for, he saw, he was attentive, he was intentional. So leadership is not about being bossy. Right. Leadership is not about being in charge. Mm-hmm. There's there's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's about knowing how to steward both your own gifts and the gifts of those around you, steward your resources, steward your products. That's what leadership is about. For the believer, it's discipleship. I think that is huge. I love the idea of stewardship and leadership, your own Mm -hmm. gifts and those around you, really helping pull that out of them to see them flourish and go serve the vision of whatever it is, your project you're working on. I think that's huge. Right. So are there some resources or do you have a favorite book or like, is there like, what's one step someone can take, you know, who's listening to this say, Oh, I I really want to water this seed. I want to be intentional to grow this. You know, um, I know Lifeway does uh, you lead type things where they do some training. I know different Baptist conventions also have women's ministry where they do leadership things. And on a very practical level, there are some really not, they're not Christian books just sure. for leadership. Yeah. Like John Maxwell, oh, is right. going, you know what I'm saying? 20, the 21 irrefutable refutable laws of the learner. I mean, there are things where I'm like, okay, contextually, this doesn't do, have anything to do with my life, but these, these laws make perfect sense. And leadership is leadership. I can distill it down to my life, my home, my context. Um, and so I think really investing in Harvard Business Review has a ton of leadership podcasts, articles, books. They even condense them sometimes and put a bunch of them in one small book. I think um, the there's a book called Crucial Conversations, which really helps you know how to talk through even difficult things, it's helpful. which is key for leaders. Um, yeah. If, if you want, maybe in the show notes, I can put a little list of um, great. Yeah books that I usually recommend. So I just started listening to Carrie Newoff has a podcast. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. been really helpful. Um, Just, just last week I had, he said some things I thought, Oh my goodness, I've never thought of that. I'm going to implement that. Yes. So this has been good. Okay. So as you look back over your life, I want to think about some women. Now you, you've mentioned your mom and how really she was pivotal to you coming to know the Lord. Um, Were there Mm -hmm. many women you looked at and thought, that's a leader. I see leadership in, I mean, you probably didn't term it that way, right? Use those terms, right? But were there women that you, you thought, yeah, look, look at her. I'm, I'm going to emulate my, I'm going to step into being a woman and who God's called me to be because of her influence. So I grew up in black church and in that church, women are strong. They own who they are. And I mean strong in the best possible way. You can mean that meaning that they're, they have walked into, I am this person. How, how can who I am serve this space? And um, so I, the women who spent time with us in a youth group, mm-hmm. I just thought they were just incredible. Like <laughs> one woman, she knew that I had gone to a school for the deaf and that I knew sign language. And she just invested in me. She took me with her. She was taking a sign language classes at a college and she just took me with her. Mm-hmm. And it was just a way to invest in a, a young woman in the church. She mm-hmm. didn't have to. It was no obligation. She just asked my mom if I could go with her to sign language classes. Wow. And it was just beautiful. Another old woman, she would, and these were women when I was a kid who were 
in their 30s. So we're not talking about old women. We're talking about women who you look at and you think, man, I want to look like you and dress like you and be like you. One woman, she would have these sleepovers at her, her house. She was a single woman. And when we were there, literally... She would show us all the um, the perfumes she would wear, <laughs> and she would make us these like crazy big breakfasts. And like, but it's six girls, and she would just walk us through making these breakfasts, and like, it, yeah. just very practical stuff. Yeah. But all of it, she was like, she, we were Christians, so yeah. she, it was it was this like familial thing, and um, we would talk about things like etiquette and gossip. <laughs> but we were kids, sure. like, you know what I'm saying, sure. like. In the moment, you're just like, why are we talking about this? This is so dumb. But I look back now and I'm like, wow, what an incredible investment. And the impact those women had on me personally is huge because I saw them as successful and honorable and impactful. And yeah, I mean, these women to me were beautiful. And I just was like, man, they're just strong. And whether they're single or married, whether they were Everybody, I mean, they all worked. That's just, I didn't know anybody who didn't really work on purpose. So it just was, sure. it was just beautiful. Yeah, very impactful. So transitioning now, what you just said about these women who worked. So what, mm-hmm. in your context there in, in Philly, in West Philly, um, what were what what were women doing in terms of work? How were they thinking about work? How, what were they thinking about education? How did that shape you? Yeah, the phrase stay-at-home mom, I had never, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know what that I had never heard that before. Like when you didn't work in my mind, you didn't work because you were getting welfare. Right. And you were getting welfare because you had small children and because these were just life situations. Right. right? So I didn't, the concept of stay at home mom was not a conversation that came up. Mm -hmm. I had one aunt who did stay home, but they had five small kids. Like mm-hmm. she just kept having kids. And so, um, and these are Christian. I didn't circles. even understand it. These are women. Yeah. Who but I didn't even understand why she, right. Yeah. I didn't understand why she didn't go to work. I was like, I mean like after, but then she would have another baby and I'd be like, okay, well she can't go to work the baby. Okay. <laughs> she hadn't, but I didn't grasp that that was a thought process. Like people, she was being intentional. Now granted she was, she was being intentional. She wasn't on welfare or whatever. My, like they were married. They were sure, <laughs> raising right, kids. Yeah. But that was not conversation. I remember the first time I said to someone in Philly, we had left because we had gone to, to for Deuce to go to school and we came back. And when I came back, we were looking for a place to rent while we were buying a house. And the woman said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I stay home with my kids. And she said, oh, you're lazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> because that that's not like... Yeah. It's becoming more normal now with the up, like with people homeschooling and all that and homeschooling publicly and online. Sure. But I'm telling you, I didn't grow up with people aspiring to be stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms, right. I think that's so fascinating no. because growing up in the South in Alabama, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, I had friends whose moms didn't work outside the home. They stayed home. And, and in my mind, that was always the ideal, right? That was the... <laughs> Kind of the, oh, if you are a godly woman, you aspire to be married, number one. Number two, have children and stay home with them and disciple them and train them in the Lord. And um, not necessarily homeschool. I never wanted to do that. But definitely that was like the goal, right, to be the stay-at-home mom. So for me, I remember the first time chatting with you, Missy, um, 
and you sharing this with me, it was, it was mind blowing (laughs) that in your Christian context and even your mom, you've shared with me before how, you know, she's just quoting scripture all the time. This is a woman who knows the Lord, how the idea that is, has honestly in some circles become so ingrained that this is what women should be doing this. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, There are so many other contexts in which this is a, not an option. Okay. Right. And not normative. And right. Guess what? You could be a terrific godly woman who works outside of the home and brings income in for your family and, um, still disciples your children. So that's one of the things, um, I love about your story is, is the Lord shaping all of those things. And, and, and just, he takes us all from where, from our own experiences and, and moves us forward in the kingdom. And so yes, I love yes. that. So besides just thinking through women working, what was the context mm-hmm. of education? Um, and then what mm-hmm. were your own thoughts about going to college and, and what were your goals mm-hmm. with that? I mean, I, I wanted to be a lawyer, so I assumed college, college, but I, this is, I'm a kid, so I don't know what the pathway to college is, right? I just assume that's what you do. But by the time I was in middle school and going into high school, the idea of the idea that you naturally go to college was not a thing. I didn't assume that. Mm -hmm. I didn't assume nor did my peers. There wasn't an assumption that you graduate from high school, you go to college. You know, you graduate from high school and you work. Mm-hmm. And the smart ones will go to college. Yes, Johnny's going to go to college. Oh, he's one of those smart ones. He's going to go to college. Um, I just, it just wasn't assumed. I didn't live in a community necessarily where everyone was going to college, but yet people were successful. So you work and you work diligently and you work hard and you earn your money and you buy your house and you keep your head down and you live in your community and you go to church. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to the high school that was for, that was for smart girls, that was the first time that I even knew that there were people who were planning to go to college. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, you know, you're going to college. Like I didn't, (laughs) and I'm not like, I have old, um, an, like there are people in my family who have gone to college, but it was like, you're the special one. Oh, you're the youngest sure. or you're the, we, you got this unique situation. It wasn't like everyone just goes to college. So mm-hmm, I, that's mm-hmm. not what I was raised with. And so I thought, I mean, you know, I can go to college. I'm not dumb, but I don't know what that path will be. And I remember um, a, we all applied to our favorite schools the ones we wanted to go to. And I remember applying for some scholarships and I got accepted into my favorite schools and I got a few scholarships, but I was also not the smartest person in a school for academics. So if you're not the the top 15, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I ran track, so that did help. But, um, I remember we I got accepted to the school and I said this to my mom. Mom, I got accepted to my favorite school and a couple other ones and I really want to go. And we did whatever you do, I guess crunch numbers. And she was just like, There's no pay. I I can't pay for any of this. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I can't do it. And I have your little sister and I, I like I, I I can't do it. Yeah. And that the, ended the conversation. Okay. That was that. And I I just didn't know that there was something to go do right? to right. change that. And I just remember, the. I think that was the very first time we chatted. 
you shared with me that this, what you just shared right now. And Missy, for me, that was really impactful for me because Mm -hmm. the space I grew up from, everybody went to college. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. was assumed Mm -hmm. you're going to go to college. You're going to get a degree. This is like the next thing. What do you do after high school? Of Mm -hmm. course, I'm. where are you going? It was not even like, are you going? It's like, what school are you going to? And mm-hmm. um, even though I came from, you know, a single parent home, my mom was a school teacher. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I knew I was going to college. Right. And so even if right. I had student debt afterwards. And so I feel like just coming from the two different contexts, it was honestly, that was a very helpful conversation to me in terms of just learning um, almost just that even the assumption is an, is, is almost a privilege. Does that make sense? Like mm, to, yes. to honestly just be more grateful for the fact that, wow, like God did make a way for me to get this education. And it's not just something everybody gets, right? I don't know. Right. That was really yes. helpful to me. Yes. And I think that that is just excellent proof of why we need to, as a broader Christian community to be living and to really be knowing each other because some of the things that we assume are given in certain spaces are just not. And we learn why people have to jump certain hurdles to understand this and like this and love this and believe this. Their context just was not the same as yours. And to have a space in your mind for that category is huge. Yes. Because a lot of times you just walk up, I do this and it's, I mean, we live now in a context that is mostly Hispanic in El Paso. So Mm -hmm. I'm learning this. But a lot of times you just assume everybody's like you. And to have a a space in your mind to give someone grace or to give someone room to 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 grow from where they came from. I don't know. That's a whole thing that I'm learning. And that conversation, when you just shared about education, really, I I thank the Lord because it, it opened my Mm. mind in a way that I hadn't, I hadn't had before. So coming from um, your background, now you work at the seminary Mm -hmm. in a predominantly white space. Tell me about Mm -hmm. that. What's that been like? Has it been what you thought? Um, Are there things that if, I mean, and it's not just black people. Like I said, I mean, I I work, I live now with Hispanic and Brown people. And so Mm -hmm. What should women or women and men who are a majority, how should we be thinking um, to help us, help us, Missy, from your own experience? You know, I remember when I came down here, I didn't anticipate working. Mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate anything. I mean, I go to, I work in this, at the school, which is predominantly white. And I go to a church that's predominantly white and I live in a community that's predominantly white. And um, I had never, like, I. I lived in Germany and I remember never feeling like I was different. It wasn't until I got to the United States that I was aware of those differences. And when we moved into the South, it's when those differences screamed on levels they had never screamed oh, wow. before. Are you kidding? Because I had experienced things and I had, you know, you, I'm black, like this, that's, you're going to experience, but moving to the South, hmm. it has as a matter of fact, anytime anyone offers my husband any position, I'm just like, is that more South? I don't, oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> I'm from Alabama, so it just pains me to hear you say that. It really does. Oh, I'm like, we just got to be careful. Oh, we just got to be careful. But, but one of the things I want to be clear, I work in a space 
I go to church with people and I live in a community with my brothers and sisters. While we can all point to what is toxic and that does exist, we are we would be well to remember that there are incredible brothers and sisters of every stripe and every creed, every ethnicity, and I live here among them. Like I know people who I'm like, you are my ride or die. We will be friends forever. You know, like, and so I just want to be careful that I can give you stories, Courtney, that are something even hard to retell, but Mm -hmm. I also can point to the sheer volume of people who I know genuinely love me, who I genuinely love and what I have gained and what I do wish the majority culture would understand. What I have gained is I've gained another language. Hmm. I have learned more about another culture that I did not understand. I can speak and relate to women in a culture who I wasn't able to speak and relate to because I didn't have access or experience in it. I'm understanding the needs of the women in a culture that's different than mine, and I have compassion and care for and understand. And then you know what else I can see? I can see how much, not only are we different, but how much so much is alike for the women in this culture that are just like the needs, desires, dreams, struggles for women in my own culture. And I begin, I've, I've felt like my job has been to be a safe space genuinely safe space. I do think one thing we do wrong is we assume that every black person or every white person can handle the weight of certain conversations. Hmm. But I think we forget that in every community that people play different roles. In some in, in in a given community there are people who will be the like lawyers. They're the people who will always fight the for the truth and always make sure they're ready to give an account. And then there's the people who are the caregivers who like, I may not be the lawyer, but I can be at the front line and draw the wounded in and care for them and heal them. And then there's the storytellers who are like, I can be the person who makes sure as we document everything so that no one forgets the struggle and what we've all been through or, and even the victories. And then there's also the people who are the persons of peace where they may be the bridge builders, the people who have the ability to go beyond their own community to walk into another one to help build the bridge. And I think sometimes we we may be expecting everyone to be the persons of peace Mm. when they're built to be the lawyer or the caregiver or whatever else. And while we all want to be it, we all should want to be it. Some people are built for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to be built. I, I want to be, I feel built for the ability to be a person of peace so that there is safety both for my sisters of color with me and both for my sisters in the majority culture so that we can begin to really live as what we are. The Bible says we are reconciled. The issue is not about us being reconciled. It's about us living like we're reconciled. Good. That's very good. One of the things you mentioned about learning a new language and stepping into this culture and you've gained this I hear you say that and I rejoice in it, but I also, part of me is, is feeling, oh, but I want that reciprocated. I want that reciprocated. Mm-hmm. I don't want that just mm-hmm. on you to learn majority culture's language. I want majority culture to say, hey, I care about you. Teach me your language, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I just, that's a whole. I mean, that's the way it should be. Right. And I, that's the way it should be. We should all be wanting to come to the table and learn your language and your culture and what makes your people tick and how can, how can the strengths in, in my community 
come alongside the strengths in your community and the strengths in your community. And then we take those strengths and we advance the gospel with all of our collective strengths that look so different, but are all equally valuable. Yes. That's a beautiful vision. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't help but think of Revelation. We're all Yes. All tribes, languages, tongues, and people, we're all going to be there together yes. worshiping in our own in our own skin. <laughs> and so Yes. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Yes. Well, we are running out of time, Missy. I've got to I ask know, you. I know it's coming by so fast. So I'm going to ask you the same question we always ask our our guests on every episode. As we close, um, what is one piece of, of advice you would leave with women who really want to honor the Lord through their vocational call? Um, a, a friend of mine told me about how his grandmother was dying and he wanted to have one last conversation with her. And he said that the last words she said to him is, sweetheart, anywhere I've ever gone, I've only gone with Jesus. Mm. And he's telling me this crying. I'm hearing it ready to cry. Like I say it sometimes with a lump in my throat because she really just was saying to him, there was no place that I would go that Jesus wasn't okay with and couldn't be there with me. And I didn't want to go if I wasn't sure that's where he wanted me. Um, And often we're not positive. I don't want you to hear me say that. Like, I'm not saying that you have to be casting lots and all of that, but I do think that we need to be becoming so intimately acquainted with Jesus that we begin to know his mind and his heart and we begin to recognize the good decisions and the ones we need to be willing to die to and even for, and that we are center ourselves off of ourselves and center our everything on Jesus. It can't be wrong. It cannot harm us. It can't, all it can do is grow us and bless us. And I, I do think we've lost the art of saying the Bible says and processing much of our decisions that way. And so I would encourage women to know their Bibles mm-hmm. and to begin to allow the spirit to do the work in their lives as they're doing the work in their lives. <laughs> well, I remember one time, Missy, you shared with me, this is, we were having just a private conversation and you encouraged me. And I actually wrote this in my Bible. It came to mind later after mm-hmm. the conversation next to a verse, I wrote it and then I found it again. You know how it was like in the Psalms, you mm-hmm. You said mm-hmm. to me, Courtney, you will never regret saying yes to the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. it was just like, wow, that was really powerful to me. And it's kind of just coming back to me as you're talking right now, that just walking with mm-hmm. Jesus, abiding in his spirit, yes. the presence of of God himself in us is, it's a beautiful thing and yes. a peace-giving thing and, and an empowering yes. thing. And so I think that's a, an amazing way to close this episode, friend. <laughs> And um, this has been such an honor <laughs> to get to um, get to host you today and get to talk this with you so more. And um, we just love you. Everybody who listens to this show loves you. And um, we just pray the Lord's <laughs> continue make a good team. blessing over your life and the Lord's mm-hmm. favor and his hand over you, that he will continue to bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you so that you can just keep doing kingdom work, girl. So we're proud of you. you. It's an honor to do this show with you. It truly is. Thank you. The honor is mine, friend. I love you. Love you too. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, take a look at the Women in Work podcast discussion questions. We provided those so that you can lead your friends from work, 
your neighborhood, or your church into useful conversations that will encourage you as you take your next step of faith into your calling. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss another one, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so that more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.